What's going on, everybody? It is your boy Mo back with another episode of Up in Flames. I got a special guest. I really have two special guests. One of them is running behind, but you know we're gonna start without him. He'll join the show momentarily. But I got I'm gonna have both of my guys, Steven and Austin, from the Breaking the Game podcast on the Off the Ball Network. I got one of my board members right here with me, Steven. Steven, how you doing today, bro? Man, I'm good. It's a it's an honor to be on Up in Flames. I love your show. I'm not really like the Up in Flames type of personality. Yeah. <laughs> I love your I love your style. I'm gonna try to do you justice, man. Like you said, it's great to be be on a show with a fellow board member for the Off the Ball Network. And uh, again, man, you're my brother. And then anytime we get to link up, it's a, it's a good day, man. Yeah, 100. Um, you know, obviously, before we get started, I have to give a shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. Mm. So. You know, with that being said, go to manscaped.com using e- promo code Up in Flames, or because I have my guests, use Up in Flames or BTG to get mm-hmm. 20% off plus free shipping. Had to throw their promo code in there since I got my guys. I appreciate on there. it. I appreciate it. Yep, yep, yep. It. And speaking of my guy, the addition, hey. Austin, is in the building. Austin, how you doing today, bro? I'm good, guys. I'm good. I'm glad I could make it. How's yeah, it going? I'm glad. You know, like I told Steven, I'm glad I was able to get both of y'all on. You know, obviously, to talk basketball with two of the basketball experts on the network always sure. makes for a great show. So, fellas, to be honest, let's just get straight into it. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on around the NBA. I think the newest of breaking news would probably be Drew Holiday's contract extension. So, you know, I'm going to let Steven go first. I'm going to give him, you know, just the breakdown of the contract, and we'll get into some of those talks. But, Steven, how do you, what do you think about – the Milwaukee Bucks extending Drew Holiday for four years. I mean, it's kind of what they had to do. You know what I mean? Like when they traded for him from New Orleans, it wasn't like uh, a, a small haul, you know, and, you know, they, they just resigned him to a four year, $135 million contract, which has a player option on it. So you could pretty much bank on the fact that they're going to see all four years of that with him. Right. So, right considering the haul that they got for him from or the considering the haul that they gave for him rather to new Orleans, they basically just had to do this. I mean, they sent several first round picks. They sent, you know, Eric Bledsoe, who I guess it made sense that they had to get rid of him, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to pay the Giannis happy tax is what I'm calling it. You know, you have to keep him happy because yes, everyone's saying, Oh, look at the, Look at how loyal Giannis is in his one year. Like, we've kind of seen this before. You know, the strategy is to grab the bag first and then worry about everything else afterward. He can't request a trade this season based on when he signed the contract extension in the offseason. Had to play out this entire year. So that whole narrative of will he, won't he doesn't exist, and that actually benefits the Bucs who are in third place right now in the Eastern Conference. You know, it's one of those, like I said, it's one of those things where Bucs had to do it is it an overpay? Probably in a vacuum. But like I said, you're not just paying for Drew Holiday. You're paying for Drew Holiday and to keep Giannis happy. Yeah, that's true. Austin, what are your thoughts on the contract extension? Um, well, Stephen hit the nail on the head about, you know, you have to do what you got to do with what they gave up for for the chance to have Drew Holiday on this team. Um, they don't have a whole lot of other options, really. Um, uh, just looking at his numbers, uh, something that I thought was interesting since LeBron went out with his injury, Dennis Schroeder 
has averaged 17 points per game, basically as the lead guy for the Lakers. And, you know, he just got offered $84 million and, and turned it down. And that's the exact same numbers that, you know, Drew Holiday is putting up this year. So they're paying, what, upwards of $135 million guaranteed for 17 points per game. That's that's a lot of money for, you know, a scrappy defender and a third scorer. But you got to do what you got to do to, you know, keep – keep that window open when you have a superstar like Giannis. So, I mean, I'm not surprised by it. It is a lot of money, but I, I think it was something that M- Milwaukee just kind of had to do. Yeah. Well, and, and that, Oh, go ahead. Can, can I, I just want to add something else real quick. Like it's one of those things that they had to do. And you point Austin, you pointed to drew holidays numbers. I would like to also say, look, this is, uh, they've only had a half a season together. Right. And drew holiday has been in and out of the lineup they're still trying to figure each other out a little bit. So I, I know that we have a tendency to kind of be like, what have you done for me lately in the NBA? I look at Drew Holiday and this team. I mean, outside of Brooklyn, they have just as good a shot as anybody in the, in the Eastern Conference in my eyes with Giannis, with Chris, and with Drew. I mean, they got a good bench rotation as well. So, I mean, if they have to make a change down the line, I bet it's going to be Coach Boonholzer. And they try to see if someone else could come in and, you know, change schematically what's going on or maybe just, a, you know, a, a take charge type of personality in that locker room as opposed to Budenholzer. But, I mean, like I said, outside of Brooklyn, I think they have just as good a shot as anybody else in the Eastern Conference to make the finals. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think, you know, we I think everybody can agree that there's a lot of pressure on Milwaukee this year. They have it, you know, to have a superstar like Giannis not have made the Easter Conference Finals yet. Obviously, you know, he's a back-to-back MVP. So there should be expectations. We have that, you know, for Kawhi Leonard, for LeBron James, obviously for Kevin Durant. It's like, you know, you got to compete for a championship and not having yet made a conference championship, let alone a finals appearance, it gets crunch time for Milwaukee. And like you said, they were able to retain Giannis on the contract extension. The numbers game... It's kind of what bothers me is because over the next four years, each year his contract becomes more and more untradeable. So if Drew Holiday doesn't work out, he's not the answer. Giannis wants out or wants more help. Drew Holiday would be the guy you would think that they would look to get rid of. But how many teams as Drew Holiday is going to be, you know, in two years, three years on the wrong side of 30, everybody isn't LeBron James and going to be, 37, 38 years old, playing at an MVP level type game. We haven't seen that consistently from superstars, period. Typically their last, you know, when they get up there in that age, you see a major decline. Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, even though Michael Jordan was really good in Washington, like he still was a really good basketball player. He wasn't the legendary Michael Jordan that we were used to. So you're going to see Drew Holiday at age 33 and 34 be making $34.7 million and have a player option of $37 million his last year in 2024-2025. To me, that's where the cause for concern, and like you said, you had to do it. All the assets you gave up, you gave up your future assets, obviously, to really build young. And these superstar players don't want to be, they don't want a rookie to be there like, okay, this is how we're going to get to a championship. Because a team like Milwaukee isn't getting a Jalen Suggs or a Cade Cunningham anytime soon. With Giannis alone, they're not going to be that bad. It's going to take, you know, knock on wood, a serious injury to Giannis and Middleton 
for them to be that that bad to get like that high of a lottery pick. But like I said, as Drew Holiday gets older, we talk about Dennis Schroeder and what the Lakers felt like he was valued at. I think they're about the same type of player. Like Drew Holiday might be a little bit better, a little bit because I think he's a better defender. Offensively, I think they bring the same the, the same style of play. Drew Holiday is a little bit more scrappy, but I like them offensively. I take Drew Holiday because defensively he's more of an impact. But is he a lockdown defender enough that will overpay for him? Like you said, they had to. Their backs kind of were against the wall in that contract extension with what you traded for him. So, I mean, is there what would be like what would have been your guys' ideal offer for Drew Holiday where we don't sit here and kind of talk about how like it's he's paid a little bit too high cuz none of us love the numbers but we we understand the business point that you kind of had to. So what would be ideal like I say about 4 years 100 million, so 115 thinking. something around that area. I just think almost 30 something million dollars a year is too much. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you you the point you made about the age too was something I was going to bring up, you know, he's 6 foot 3, barely 200 pounds. He's already 30 years old. It is only a 4-year deal, so it's not like, you know, it's a huge long time or he's going to be playing until he's 37 on this contract. But I think 4 years 100 sounds right to me personally. Uh, that's exactly where I was thinking. Yeah, Steven? I mean, well, for one, the age factor, I mean, we just saw John Wall, Russell Westbrook, and Al Horford all get traded in the same offseason. So, and I think that Drew's Holiday's game will age a little bit better because his two-way ability, and he's a decent he's a decent enough shooter. So uh, I, I don't think that the age and the length of the contract is going to be as particular. I think that it's a movable contract. But, I mean, he he's not a max contract player, you know. I, I would even settle for ten less, or you know, one hundred twenty-five million, just to say, hey, look, we value you pretty highly, but we also mm-hmm. want to have our roster intact enough to where we can add players here or there. And plus, it's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, typically not a team associated with being comfortable, you know, paying the luxury tax. If it doesn't really work out, how long is the owner really gonna want to put up with paying a lot of money? For not a lot of hardware. So that's something else to, to take into consideration. Yeah, I mean, I like that you brought up the John Wall and Russell Westbrook thing. I think like where you and me would disagree is that I think at this age that they're at, I think John Wall and Russell Westbrook are better players than Drew Holiday. Now, granted, like you said, you think his game will age well. So that's a that age better than theirs because we know they were injury prone, the impact of being, you know, such a, give it your all 100% high flying type of point guard never really works out well. We've seen it obviously time and time again. I think D Wade, like his prime got cut a little short. And I think that was kind of part of the failure of the big three with the Miami heat is because, you know, you look at those last two years. Yes, they won one lost one, but the impact that Wade wasn't able to have due to his knees being bad and stuff. And we knew how dynamic of a guard he was obviously Derek Rose and the injury bug killed him Russell Westbrook knee surgery after knee surgeon and John Wall went from what a knee a knee injury to tearing his Achilles we didn't know if they would come back the same so they kind of had to prove it uh John Wall had to prove it Russell Westbrook still had to prove that he still has game because we looked and thought that he might be on a decline so to say that Drew Holiday doesn't have like a major injury you know on his resume especially as of late and he's not the type of player that is like physically demanding 
He's mm-hmm. a scrappy guy, but he plays low to the ground. He's not an above-the-rim kind of guy. So I do agree he has a nice enough jump shot that people could use his shooting services long enough. The better you can shoot, the longer your career is in the NBA because as your athleticism dwindles down, that jump shot goes nowhere. I mean, we've seen Kyle Korver. Obviously, J.J. Redick is still an attractive player to have on your roster. The signing of Ben McLemore to the Lakers shows that, you know, shooting keeps you a roster spot. Obviously, we look at Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Like, we see those guys, you know, even though Klay's injured this year, I think he's going to come back. He'll be just fine. He's a jump shooter. I think even as Steph Curry slows down a little bit, he'll be very effective, whether it's for the Golden State Warriors for the rest of his career or he goes and joins up with another player, whether it's LeBron James or links back with Kevin Durant or something. I have no idea. You know, there's going to be all type of possibilities if he doesn't sign an extension. But the better your jump shot, the longer career you're going to have. That's just my opinion. But to move on, and I think this was more of a rumor than anything, but could it be bye-bye Venice Beach and hello South Beach for Kawhi Leonard this summer? He hasn't signed his extension, which is definitely something to pay attention to. Paul George has been up and down once again, kind of had a roller coaster season like we're accustomed to in and out of the lineup, MVP level for two weeks, you know, below all-star level for another three weeks. And it's kind of been, he's rode that roller coaster all year. We know what the Clippers are capable of. Uh, We have a lot of questions. They gave up the 3-1 lead. So Austin, I'm going to throw it to you first. Mm -hmm. Do you see it? Is it a realistic possibility that Kawhi could jet from L.A. and go to Florida and play for the Miami Heat? And if you don't think so, but you think it's a possibility he could leave, where could you see him going? Um, You know, Miami makes as much sense as anybody in terms of a, a market that he would seem like he would want to play for, you know, with a, a, a team that has a lot to be desired. You know, they have a lot of a lot of pieces there that he, he would probably love to play with. Um, I think it's very possible and it all depends on the playoffs this year. If the Clippers make it to the finals, then maybe he does resign and thinks that he's got a chance at a title here. But if, if they get beat, you know, before the conference finals or the finals again, and they're not really, you know, a factor in the, in the title picture. Um, I don't know that he's a hundred percent sure that hitching his wagon to Paul George is the, is the right thing to do. And I don't think any of us really disagree with that yet. You know, Paul George is, has been has had seasons where he finished top three MVP voting and disappeared in the playoffs. You know, like Damian Lillard said, you can't talk when your only game winner ever is in a Gatorade commercial. You know, and I just I think that rings true. I, I feel like if if curses are real, Dame Lillard kind of cursed him with that, with the whole when when playoff he happened and all of that stuff is just like breaking a mirror or walking under a ladder it's just like bad luck and and paul george just seems to step in it at every every turn um so you know at the end of the day mo i know you're you're a little bit of a miami heat fan if i'm right um i'll tell you i wouldn't want to play for little brother and i think the clippers are always going to be little brother to the lakers no matter what unless they win a title so i think it's all dependent on what happens in the playoffs this year but it's 100 percent possible i'd actually like to see it i think it'd be pretty fun yeah steven what are your thoughts i think i know one of your aspects that you'll throw in there but what are your thoughts about Kawhi possibly if he doesn't resign with the clippers going to south beach how realistic would that be i mean like austin said i think it's 
something that you have to keep your eye on. You know, it's it would be foolish for you to ignore, especially considering that it was rumored a couple seasons back that he was going to go to Miami. So, I mean, the old saying is where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, this is the second you know smoke sighting that we've seen in Miami with Kawhi Leonard. So, something we got to pay attention to now. You know, how much does he want to play at home? We know that that was his motivating factor in wanting to get out of San Antonio. You know, the Spurs kind of, they kind of outgangstered Kawhi Leonard here, and they were like, oh, you want to go to L.A.? I'm literally going to send you to the farthest team away from Los Angeles and bring in DeMar DeRozan and, and move on from you. So, you know, he ended up getting to go to California. Apparently, he'd always been a Clippers fan when they signed him. He had always been a Clipper fan. I don't know how much, you know, is, is true about that story, but, you know, he was happy to be there. And again, if he's happy playing in California, I don't know that he does leave. This may be him just levering, leveraging his position like any other superstar does. You know, maybe if they do fail out in the playoffs, maybe they say, hey, look, I'm not resigning you until you trade Paul George away because I still think Paul George. For all of his shortcomings, he is going to be, you know, in demand for a couple places. Maybe a team looking for a third option instead of a second one, you know, and maybe they trade uh, more assets and draft picks to the Clippers and they just try to play for the future a little bit more. Um, but one interesting factor to your whole Miami Heat theory, Mo, is the fact that they just traded for Victor Oladipo. Now, what's what makes that interesting is both teams could execute a sign and trade for Kawhi Leonard, for Victor Oladipo, and then maybe they attach draft picks to that. You know, if you're the Heat, you don't have a lot left, but maybe a couple seconds. Maybe you finally give up Tyler Hero. Maybe this is where his value is realized to some degree. Uh, you got, you know, Precious Achua, who is Bam Adebayo 2.0. You know, is he going to be a little bit redundant staying there? Does he fit on, you know, this Los Angeles Clippers teams and becomes basically their mantra as Harold when they had him? Who knows, right? But they do have young pieces. They do have a couple second rounders that they can send that way. And and obviously, too, Victor Oladipo, do the Clippers look at the fact that, like, okay, we lost Kawhi Leonard. I'm not ready to admit that this is a failure. So let me get Victor Oladipo to play alongside Paul George and maybe bring in that Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Preston Achua, and maybe we're a fifth through eighth seed in the Western Conference. And we don't view that as a failure, although I'm sure a lot of people would. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. And, you know, the the biggest thing about it was Jimmy Butler was, like, number one on his list when he talked about bringing a player. That's what I thought you were going to bring up because when we I had this conversation about before. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we had this conversation before, that was the point you brought up was that Jimmy Butler was, like, guy number one on his list to come and play alongside him with the Clippers. Obviously, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. Paul George was another guy on his list. James Harden was on his list. So I would even imagine Kevin Durant, obviously. So I would imagine that the guys on his list, we named all those guys. I mean, what guy would you take Paul George over? Maybe Jimmy Butler, especially at the time, but I don't know. Not anymore. (laughs) Yeah, not anymore. I mean, you see, we're talking about a guy who got his team to the NBA Finals. Um, Obviously, you see the impact he has on Miami. We were able to see how good they are with him and how bad they can be without him. So to show, you know, I guess the conversation that you hate is his his value to Miami has put him in the MVP conversation. 
in some basketball's eyes. And I know, you know, that's not your favorite conversation when it comes to is Jimmy Butler an MVP, but I think that's when people want to take the With all the injuries through. that we've sustained. I mean, he's like by default yeah. up there. I mean, at the time when I was talking about Jimmy Butler not necessarily being quote unquote in the MVP conversation, most of the candidates that I had were healthy at the time. So I mean like yeah, he's and up I there think, now. I think with the Jimmy Butler argument is this is where people want to take the true like the true meaning of the word valuable and we're not talking about who's better. We're talking about look at what the team is with them and look at what their team is without them, mm-hmm. which would be like another strong case for LeBron, you know, in a sense is like, look, he has to be an MVP still because look at how bad they are, you know, without LeBron James. So that kind of goes to my next point. No LeBron, it's been no fun for the Lakers. Like, they've been bad. They've been really bad. Obviously, it's more than just LeBron. No LeBron and no Anthony Davis. You have to give the credit to Anthony Davis. But the thing about it with losing LeBron is LeBron, they were staying afloat when AD went down and LeBron played. They were able to win games, even marquee games. They were in those games. They had a shot. We didn't count the Lakers out of winning. It didn't matter. They could have played Brooklyn you know, whoever, the Clippers, and we still would have gave them that shot. I think if it was vice versa and LeBron had went down first and AD was on the floor, I don't know if the Lakers still would have been that favorable matchup against some of the top seeds, the Utah Jazz, you know, who the Lakers still ended up getting blown out without Anthony Davis. I will throw that out there. But, you know, I think it even becomes much worse of a matchup when we take LeBron out the game and keep Anthony Davis. So, Steven, I'll go to you. Should the Lakers – Fan base, should Lakers Nation be panicking right now at the position that they're looking at possibly being in? Because we don't know when LeBron and AD is returning. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say no. I've actually mentioned this on my show and you know another couple shows that I've been on too. If you look right now, they just got passed by the Nuggets who are ahead of them in the standings by half a game. They have a two-and-a-half game lead on the Dallas Mavericks for the seventh seed. And then if you look at the eighth seed, I mean – they would have to lose twice as many games as they had lost before LeBron's injury, like at that rate, twice as bad in order to be the eight seed. So realistically, if I'm the Lakers, I'm thinking maybe at worst now the seventh seed. I'm, I'm Myself, I think if they fall more, it's more along the lines of the sixth seed because they're only a half game ahead of the Blazers right now. I don't think that they, that they lose a, a two and a half game, you know, standings lead to the Mavericks because what a lot of people tend to realize or don't realize is that when you look at the fact that they have a two game lead against a team you may think like wow it's real easy for them to lose you know two games in a row but everyone else has to play their games as well so I mean basically everyone else would have to be hot at that time while the Lakers are just ice cold and that is not how the NBA works but to your point about how you know if LeBron was available and AD wasn't, I think that's just because of the positions that they play and the role that they have in the offense. You know, Anthony Davis isn't really like a table setter. That's what LeBron James is. He's, he's a, he's a guy that can score, but he's not a score first mentality guy. You know, that's at least that's what he's built as. Right. So he, he rebounds. I'm sorry. I said, he's a dual forward. (laughs) He's a dual forward to, to quote our friend Rashad Phillips. Right. So he's a, He's a dual forward. He can do a little bit of everything for you. Anthony Davis isn't that guy. He's a hybrid post. And so he's basically Kevin Garnett. He can pass, 
But when you give Anthony Davis the ball, you're expecting him to, you know, go to work on somebody and put the ball in the hoop. And that's, I'm not going to say easy to replace, but that's more easy to replace than it is a guy that basically runs your entire offense. You know, that's the more difficult spot to, to make up for because you just don't have guys like that. Right, 100%. So let's move on as I'm wearing a Lakers shirt. It's actually a LeBron shirt. I wasn't going to uh, mention it up. Yeah, as I'm wearing a Lakers shirt. I have a brand shirt. new LeBron shirt I thought about wearing. I messed up. I should have put it on. Yeah, yeah. I got my LeBron shirt. So let's talk to the true Lakers fan, and that's Austin. You know, yeah. we got the opinion of, you know, outsiders here, but let's talk about a guy who's really in it and watching. Are you panicking as a Lakers fan? And whether you are or aren't, just go ahead and explain why or why not. I'm definitely not, but uh, I I almost wouldn't count myself in the majority right now. Lakers fans panic about everything, though. You know, yeah. Lakers fans are on Twitter freaking out about a twenty point win a lot of nights. So, you know, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. It's just that's how Lakers fans are. Um, no, I'm not panicking at all. I think the Lakers need about ten games at the end of the year to get everybody back, get all three guys that are out right now, Drummond, AD, and LeBron all back and healthy. Um, and I think health is the biggest thing. I, I I feel like if they were really worried about not making the playoffs or falling out of, uh, you know, if they felt like home court advantage was that big of a deal to them, I think you'd see these guys coming back a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, he had to say yeah, something. Yeah, our good friend uh, Chris LeBron had I will say, Stephen, you, you, you eased my hurt feelings a little bit now. You said some nice things about the Lakers. You made me feel better. I'm, I am, uh, I am. Uh, when I'm on the show, I'll put this because I'm a different cat when I'm in the chat, and y'all know that. But um, and I didn't mean to rhyme so much, right? Yeah, there. that was but a nice little Doctor Seuss real quick. I like that. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean to do that, but you know, it's it's natural, you know. But um, when I'm on the show and when I have my analyst hat on, I look at it, you know, unbiasedly. Now, I won't, it, I won't say that LeBron James walks on water. But I'm not going to say he's garbage either, you know. So, I mean, he's obviously important. You know, before he was injured, I had him second in the MVP voting behind Joel Embiid. So, I mean, obviously, I think highly of the guy, you know. And hey, uh, Steven had and, him higher than I did at one point, and I'm a LeBron right. fan. And right. I had him third. Like, I respectably had dropped him, I think, behind Damian Lillard, who at the time Steven wasn't so high on, but – once explained and I fully understood, like I get it, you know, when mm-hmm. ultimately MVP wins have to happen. You have to right. win to be an MVP at the end of the day. You can't be six in your so, conference, not averaging a triple double and expect the MVP right. award. So think about it like this. If the Lakers are healthy, are are you worried about Dallas? No. Are you worried about Portland? No. We seen you worried that about last Denver? Year. No, we seen that last year. I'm more worried, worried about, about Denver. I'm more worried about Denver than the other two teams you mentioned. I'll right. put that out there. And yeah, I'm a little worried be... about the Clippers. I think the Clippers are having a quietly having a really good year. You know, they're top ten in offense and defense. Um, you know, I, I still got to see them do it in the playoffs against these other teams. But do the Suns really make me worried? Not really. I just don't know that they match up real well against the Lakers if they're healthy. They don't have anybody that can guard AD or LeBron. Not both of them. Not for long stretches. Um, so honestly, I think, like I said, I think it's all about health. If they get seven to 10 games together at the end of the year, you know, I think they're kind of feeling, you know, at least the majority of this roster has had a year together. Whereas like in Brooklyn where, you know, Katie's getting ready to come back and now Harden's out 
you know, how many games are they actually going to get to play together? Is they've played only seven. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a little bit more of an issue for them than, say, LeBron and AD, who went through this whole playoff run already once together. And, you know, Drummond, obviously, they added in Schroeder, some different guys here and there. But overall, you know, the the main two guys are are, are the same and, and know each other well enough that I I just think, you know, if LeBron's healthy, the, the Lakers are still the team to beat in the West for sure. Yeah, and that's kind of my outlook on it is like I see if Lakers fans are panicking, I understand why. Because when we talk, this isn't the bubble this year. So, mm-hmm. like, home court is a factor. The traveling is going to be a factor. From what we know so far, I mean, they're putting fans in the stands slowly but surely. I mm-hmm. mean, they want sellout crowds here soon. Obviously, baseball, baseball you know, the Texas them. Rangers did it. And first time, you know, whether it was safe or not, it was a good feeling just to see that, like, it seems like people are trying to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Seeing a sold-out stadium was amazing because it's a sight that we cool. didn't think we'd ever say, I haven't seen that in a year. But, you know, to be able to say that, whether it's smart or not, those people make their own decisions. So, you know, if you were comfortable going, great. But I think the the thing that Lakers fans are panicking about is, is it going to be any tougher going at number seven through who I have to go to? go through or going at number two. I personally don't think so. And the reason I say that is because I feel like your threats are the Clippers, the Suns, the Jazz, and the Nuggets. To get to the finals, you're guaranteed two of them. You're going to see two of those teams, two of the top four teams, whether you're number one or number seven. I understand that, like, okay, a game seven, home is a lot better than game seven away. But I'm going to be honest, and first off, until all these crowds are sold out, it's not going to be much of a factor, especially when we're talking about a guy with a championship pedigree like LeBron James, that a Game 7 performance is like, I think he's hungry for being able to do something outstanding in some Game 7 to continue to build his legacy and chase the, the greatest of all time title, whether you think he can ever or not. I think he has that on his mind, and what makes more than just championships iconic moments he he will thrive in a game seven I don't care whether it's home or away also my only concern as a Lakers fan would be that I have LeBron James and Anthony Davis 100% healthy like you said Austin I'm not worried about any of these teams and like Steven said I'm more worried about Denver than I would be Dallas or Portland and that was the same thing as last year and we heard it last year you know the Lakers were going and it was like you know, the Blazers have a matchup. You know, it started in the first round with the Rockets. They got Harden and Westbrook. They have a matchup that just could kill the Lakers. They might get upset. Okay, then we go to the second round. They go see the Blazers, and it's the same thing. Well, you, got, you, two got, guards. you got them backwards. It went Blazers yeah. and then Rockets. Okay, my bad, my bad. So, yeah, that you're right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I bring the, the basketball experts on here to correct me when I'm wrong. But Bro, yeah, you, so we you correct me all the time. Don't don't. Oh no, hey, yeah, it goes both ways. But that's the yeah. thing is they said their weakest spot was the guards. And yes, we have LeBron James, who we know plays point guard. But when we're talking about having to guard a Damian Lillard and a Russell Westbrook, Harden, you know, and CJ McCollum, we don't really expect LeBron to do that. But I think as long as they're healthy, I think you know, with them winning the championship last year, everybody knows that's all you need. You just need a LeBron healthy and rested and. That might have been the difference and why it seemed so easy for them to pretty much win a championship. Their toughest matchup was really Miami in the finals. They kind of ran through the West 
uh, you know, even Denver, it it wasn't a tough series. And I think because obviously with the with the break that they had, LeBron had a lot of rest. So I would be looking at that. And if I went into this year and felt like I could repeat that, I would. And that's what it's looking like. You're going to get LeBron James, maybe not three months off, but you're getting him that type of rest where he's going to come in and he's going to be 100% for the playoffs. At the end of the day, that's all you need when it comes to LeBron James. If I have LeBron on my team, I don't really care about the 72 games this year. I care about the playoffs. You can put me at the eighth seed. As long as I'm not in a play-in situation where I find myself on the outside looking in and I have to win two games just to be the eighth seed, obviously any extra wear and tear or any one-and-done scenario I wouldn't feel comfortable with as a Lakers fan, but I don't see them dropping that far. You know, and there's not really a lot of news. We don't know. LeBron could come back next week. We don't know. It's kind of been one of the most quiet injuries I've seen in a while because you would think a guy like LeBron, after being hurt the way he did, there would just be coverage and updates, you know, every other day, weekly. We're not really getting that, and it's kind of the same with Anthony Davis. That's a little surprising to me. Did y'all not think we'd... There'd be a lot more like LeBron updates and expectations and we kind of have an idea of where he'd come come back. I definitely did. I feel like Rich Paul's doing everything he can to kind of tamp down all all the storylines. And, and I just get this picture in my head. You know, it's a little bit nerdy, but it's like from Dragon Ball Z when you see like Goku in that like chamber, you know, healing up, getting ready for the, you know, the big battle at the end of the, you know, against whoever it is. I kind of feel like that's what it feels like with LeBron AD right now. Like they're just, you know, they're sitting back, they're getting ready. They're, you know, healing up, preparing for the final or, you know, for this playoff run. And um, so, you know, like we've been saying, it's just Denver, Denver, since the Aaron Gordon trade does uh, have the the most efficient five man lineup in the NBA, they're like a plus twenty five net rating with the starting five they have now. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is averaging like twenty one points a game over their last twenty games. He's really picked it up. Um, so they they pose a, a, a threat. You know, I think with the injuries, I would have to say Jokic is is definitely at the top, if not top three, for MVP right now. Um, I think he already probably was top three before those injuries. Um, but let's be honest. Last year, you know, everybody said all these teams had these matchup problems for the Lakers. And it turns out there's not a whole lot of matchup problems when you can put out a lineup that's all 6'6 six, six and above and long and can defend. And they can do that again this year. They can defend any kind of lineup you throw out there. KCP is a plus defender. You know, LeBron's having a great year defensively, actually. AD, we already know, is a defensive player of the year candidate. Schroeder gives them a little more versatility against smaller guards. Um, Kyle Kuzma's a long athletic defender when he wants to be. And Drummond, adding him now, gives them that that athleticism at the, at the five position that they kind of lost when they lost Dwight Howard. So, I, I mean, defensively, I just think they're on another level. Yeah, and like we said, I mean, it just comes down – I think the only concern is maybe that I haven't been hearing. Maybe as a Lakers fan, I should be a little concerned that I haven't heard much on, you know, LeBron's injury or Anthony Davis. No true updates. I think the last thing I seen was probably last week, and it said it could be another three to five weeks for LeBron to return. Obviously, says AD, we don't really know. We know people were speculating that it could be more serious. We don't know. But, you know, like you said, Rich Paul has, to me, done a great job of, making sure that it stayed quiet. 
Because if it is more serious than we think, we won't know. And if it's just the plan of like leave everybody wondering, leave them, you know, don't have anybody questioning whether LeBron is ready to go right now or whether Anthony Davis is ready to go, keep everything under the radar. You won't have that load management question that you get with Kawhi Leonard where he plays three, four games fully healthy, averages 28 points a game in that stretch, and then he doesn't play the next game. And there was like no injury you saw or nothing, but they say all of a sudden it'll be like knee soreness or, you know, a sore right heel or, you know, something like his hand hurts and it becomes, you know, a load management kind of thing. And that's, you know, a conversation for another day because does load management really necessarily work? Has it gotten them a championship? No, it hasn't. Not yet. I understand he did in Toronto, but that's another questionable championship. But to keep it moving, our final topic, I want to talk about the sleeper teams in each conference. And the reason I wanted to bring that up was because we had the NCAA tournament. And we all know the NCAA tournament is a one and done and we have Cinderella teams. We have guys who make, you know, phenomenal runs. UCLA making it to the Final Four. Oral Roberts making the run that they made and had a chance of winning in the Sweet 16. You know, that was a game that I felt like didn't get a lot of love for as close as it was, especially now that the Gonzaga game had happened in the Final Four. But obviously we don't see Cinderella teams make it to the finals in the NBA. Typically when we see teams in the finals, outside of, I guess you could say, when they made it to the conference finals, like, the Memphis Grizzlies, there's not a lot of, oh, I didn't expect them there. But there are a couple sleeper teams or teams that are really good that just aren't getting respect. So, Stephen, I'll start with you, and we'll start in the Western Conference. Who would be your sleeper team that the majority of the NBA world couldn't see them in the Western Conference Finals, but you could? Or who's not getting enough respect that we should be – saying like there should be an expectation that they be there in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, can I cheat and pick the first, second, or fourth seed? I mean, how it much wouldn't attention? wouldn't be cheating because I had the first seed in mind. So. I mean, to be honest with you, all three of these teams are like, yeah, they're nice stories, but let's talk about, you know, a team that's in sixth place in the Eastern Conference or a team that's, you know, in fifth place in the Western Conference. It's crazy to me that uh, since you want to talk about the number one seed, I'll talk about the number two. The Phoenix Suns. I mean, is it crazy to believe that Chris Paul can lead this group of you know younger guys along with Jay Crowder, who has playoff experience? I mean, if let's just say that the Lakers come back and they're fully healthy, right, and they have to battle uphill in order to make the finals, I don't think that they would shy away from that. But I mean, the theory behind something like that would be all these like tougher series would accumulate. And maybe someone just catches them on a bad day or let's, uh, you know, knock on wood. What if one of them aren't fully right when they come back? You know, and I think that's a real concern depending on where they fall in the standings. Maybe they're not 100 percent when they come back. And what happens when you're not 100 percent and come back? Ask a lot of these guys. You end up right back where you were, you know, so and I think that that's a realistic thing. So outside of the Lakers doing something like that, I mean, Chris Paul, he's due for one. I mean, let's just put it that way. He's he's another guy that hasn't had an injury so far this year, but he seems to kind of hold off until the biggest moments of the playoffs for that to happen. So there's that aspect of it. But, I mean, you got guys like Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, you know, DeAndre Ayton, a campaign coming in off the bench, Dario Sarge running a funky stretch five, you know, point, point forward type game. Uh, 
they they got a lot of guys on this team that it's really hard to not you know kind of fall in love with this team. Monty Williams has done a great job. They're on a six game win streak right now, so I don't I'm think. Yeah, and I I heard something crazy. I think dating back to January, they have not lost more than one game in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, since it, they were eight, they were eight and eight, and then they had lost three straight, and they haven't lost more than one game in a row since. Yeah, so I mean, they're one of the more consistent teams in the NBA right now. So, uh, Money Williams is doing a great job. Chris Paul, obviously, being that coach on the floor. And they're just so versatile. They can run a number of different lineups. They're the second seed in the West Conference, and no one is talking about them. Yeah, 100%. Austin? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you make really good points that both the top two seeds could be considered the sleeper team in the West because you don't hear a whole lot of talk about the Jazz either, but they just keep beating everybody and and beating them pretty handily. Um, I think, you know, if you want to call them a sleeper, we've already talked about them a lot. It's the Denver Nuggets. I think with the Aaron Gordon trade – they, you know, they have a, an extremely versatile, lethal lineup. It looks like with him and Barton, MPJ, uh, Jokic, and Murray. Jamal Murray. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of fans in Denver were pretty sad to see a guy like Gary Harris get traded away. I think he was a fan favorite, but I think ultimately it was good for their team. I'd be I more worried about losing team. Hampton. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, I liked RJ Hampton. I thought that was interesting. Um, you know. There's still a lot of people holding out hope for a guy like Bol Bol. I don't know if he's ever going to be what people want him to be, but I would have given him up over Hampton in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, you know, with Aaron Gordon now, the, talk about a team that can be can switch and be versatile on defense, can do a lot of things on offense. And the nice thing with having adding Aaron Gordon to this team is they don't have to ask him to do more than he can do. He doesn't have to be the second or even really the third option on that team. I think he can on offense, he can kind of spot up. He can play in the fast break. He, I think kind of like the same thing happened to Kyle Kuzma when the Lakers went and got guys like Harrell and um, uh, Schroeder is all the pressure kind of goes off of them now because they don't have to be that third scoring option. And I don't think Aaron Gordon is, is expected to do that in Denver. And I think he can kind of just, play his play his game um and with Jokic you know the way he's been playing this year he's obviously he's putting up historic numbers we've heard Greg Popovich talk about him like he's Larry Bird so I don't know if he's that good but he is having a heck of a year so I I think you know they've obviously shown that any anything can happen in this year I think in, in these playoffs just with the injury situation and and the way the the standings have really shook out compared to where I think all of us thought they would look like at this point in the season. I think it's safe to say that, you know, any of the first four teams, four or five really seeds out West, you could, you could make a pretty good case for making the NBA finals. Yeah. I mean, and I'm going to go, you know, like we said, we pretty much have the same, you know, the same three teams. I'm going to go obviously with the Utah jazz, the number one seed, because let the Lakers have no LeBron and AD injury. They're the number one seed. They're the talk of the town. You know, uh, Brooklyn is the talk of the town as the two seed in the Eastern Conference. Philly, I, th- I think Brooklyn is number one now. They're Philly, half game lead now. Yeah. Half a game at number one. Philly has been the talk of the town as they've held on, even through the Joel and B injury until recently, the one seed. You know, we talked about, we talked, the Eastern Conference has actually gotten so much love this year that you're not paying attention to how good the West really is unless you're guys like us who watch basketball for what it is and don't wake up and base our day 
off of ESPN storylines and watch whatever team they're talking about. Because like you said, it's crazy that the Clippers are playing so, so good, but they're having a underrated season. They're a really good team this year, but you wouldn't know it because you don't hear much about Kawhi Leonard. And when they do talk about the Clippers, it's in a negative aspect towards Paul George. Like, it's when they lose. That's when you talk about the Yeah, Clippers. and they stayed yep. under the radar. They added Rondo. Oh, snap, we're talking about the Clippers for a day or two because we want to address how the Rondo trade comes. And then, like, Paul George has, like, two bad games in a row. Oh, now we're going to bring up the Clippers. And is Paul George going to be the reason why Kawhi Leonard leaves the city of Los Angeles or doesn't they win just, a championship? They beat the Lakers by 18 points, and you never really hear a word about how they played. It's all about how the Lakers need AD and LeBron back. You yeah, a, you didn't even give them their Lakers. due diligence. And so it's the same with Utah. And like Austin brought up, you know, they just keep beating teams. And I get it. Everything changes. I'm still not sold on Utah being a championship team. But to be number one in the Western Conference with, what, a two-and-a-half game lead ahead of second place, when you look at it, there's seven games ahead of the Lakers who are in fifth place. They have a fairly comfortable lead that, at the very least, they're going to get home court advantage at least in the first round and probably the second round. They might not lose home court no matter how they finish the season until they get to the Western Conference Finals. That's a high possibility. And there's a little bit of bias with me in liking Utah because when Dwayne Wade retired, favorite player of all time, I was looking for one of these young guys that I can watch for the next 12 to 15 years and fill that void of like, who can I be a true fan of? And like watching Donovan Mitchell, he kind of was that guy. He, he's similar, but different. I think there's at times he's a little more athletic than Wade was, even though Wade had some underrated athleticism. To me, Donovan Mitchell is a better, a little bit better three-point shooter than Dwayne Wade was at that age. Not by much, because it's not like he's a killer from the three, but he is a better shooter. I think, you know, we could pick apart, but that was like, I kind of fell in love with Donovan Mitchell and was like, this is going to be the guy that's going to fill my void of my Dwayne Wade fandom. And he's really improved every year since he's been in the NBA. He was like a underrated, underlooked prospect coming into the NBA even what he did with Louisville, and you've just seen him get better. You've seen him step up in the moments. You know, obviously that duel he had against Jamal Murray, you know, obviously, and, and then he was wide open in, in the playoff series. He didn't get the ball, didn't go his way, I understand, but he steps up to the moment. Each moment is going to get bigger for him every year, and I don't see him backing down or shining dull in the moment, Donovan Mitchell is a certified all-star with superstar potential. Like as we watch these Kevin Durant's and Kyrie Irving's and, you know, LeBron, the older guys in their early 30s, as we watch them fade out, we're looking for the next group of true superstars, the next group of top five to seven players. And I think at one point in the next two to three years, Donovan Mitchell will find himself in that conversation. And so to have a guy like that, have Rudy Gobert, who's another defensive player of the year candidate, has a very high chance. And, like, they're number one in the West. And the most we've heard about Utah in the past year and a half was the whole situation with, obviously, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. That was the offseason, their friction and their relationship. Zero. But, like, you don't hear about them outside of that. And they've played so great. They're number one in the Western Conference. And this is supposed to be the best conference in the NBA, which it is. But we hear about... The New York Knicks, sorry to Chris, but 
they're finally competitive again. So yes, it becomes a story. They're in the New York market. But, you know, at the same time, there's no way the Knicks should be getting more love than the Utah Jazz who were first in the Western Conference. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them in a Western Conference Finals. I look at how they match up against the Clippers. And I feel like their only true matchup problem that I don't know if they have an answer for is the Lakers. And that's kind of... Everybody in the Western Conference, we talk about we bring everybody healthy for the playoffs. The only true team that just teams might not have an answer for is the Lakers, but I think the Jazz could beat the Clippers in a seven game series. I think them and Phoenix would be like an epic seven game series of two teams that are really great that aren't getting a lot of love. And they they'll surprise you. I think that'd be a down to the wire great series that we would watch. I think the Jazz in Denver could be another really good playoff series. I wouldn't be surprised to see a seven-game series there, but I think they could be on the right side of these potential seven-game series between all these teams. So why do you think the Jazz aren't getting enough love? Like, is it that Donovan Mitchell just – people don't want to, you know, kind of give him his praise and make him that bona fide all-star that he is? So here's the thing is, one, it's – and Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell has kind of – made this point about the way the refs officiate games is that they play in Utah. Like, I mean, even John Stockton and Carl Malone, they made back-to-back trips to the finals. It was just theirs to lose. But basically, you know what I mean? Like no one looks at Utah as a sexy market. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't make your money in the NBA covering the Utah jazz, no matter how good they are. I mean, they've had one of the best coaches of all time and Jerry Sloan there, and they made the playoffs year after year, after year, after year. And it was just, okay, we know that they're going to make the playoffs, but that's all we really want to talk about. And if you look at this Utah Utah team, they draw a lot of comparisons to, like, the Toronto Raptors when they had DeRozan and Lowry or the the Atlanta Hawks when they had, you know, Corver, Horford, Millsap, and Teak and, and, you know, Damari Carroll. And people look at this team and they say, oh, that's just going to be another repeat of one of those types of teams. Well, what separates the, the Jazz from those teams in my eyes is, one, they're a really good defensive team. Two, they're a really good rebounding team. Three, they're a really good three-point shooting team. Four, they have a really good head coach. Five, they're the most cohesive team in the NBA this season. And then six, they have a bona fide go-to score in Donovan Mitchell. Number six is what none of those other teams previously had. None of them had a guy that they can go to in the clutch like a Donovan Mitchell or when no one else has it. He can throw the team over his shoulders and say, I got this for y'all tonight. I'm going to hang up 50. You know, he's they have a guy that can do that. That's what separates the Jazz. That's what makes them for real to me this season. Yeah, yeah awesome. you know, Stephen, you hit the nail on the head right there again for sure with what you just said about go-to guy. You know, make no mistake about it. This is not that Atlanta team. That Atlanta team that you mentioned that they're compared to, who was their best – who was their number one option on offense, would you say? Maybe Horford. Yeah, maybe Horford. Would would he he'd be maybe the third option on this team? You know, I think Well he can't I put the ball on the floor either. <laughs> I think Bogdanovich, I think a lot of times if Clarkson was on the floor, he'd be he'd be ahead of him on the offense. And obviously Donovan Mitchell. And, Conley. You know, I I love the, the Dwayne Wade comparison. You know, I think I, I feel that. I just think it Donovan needs to kind of He's not quite the rim attacker that Dwayne Wade was. I think that's the main difference mm-hmm. I see. And, you know, you, what you said earlier, Mo, about him having Dwayne having un, 
you know, underrated athleticism. Like he toiled away for a few years on some Miami teams right before LeBron came where he was doing things where everybody in the gym knew he was the only guy that was going to get the ball. And he was going in on three and four guys and, and doing incredible stuff. So, you know, that's definitely not lost on me, but uh, this, this uh, Utah jazz team is one of those teams you talk about where, well, they're so well coached. They're so cohesive. They, they are deep. They have a bench. They have everything you look for, but all, all those other teams, like Steven said, don't have the superstars. Well, this team definitely does. They have one offensive superstar and they have one defensive might be the best defensive player in the league. And they're, it's, they're in, they're in Utah. They, you know, they're not in New York City. They're not the Knicks. You know, it's the Utah Jazz. They shouldn't even be the Jazz. The Jazz used to be they in New Orleans. Music in There's Utah. not jazz music in Utah. <laughs> I mean, if there is, I don't, I don't think it's very popular. And it's just, it's a weird franchise. It's a weird place to have an NBA team. Um, you you got to find the right type of guys that want to be there and, and give them credit. You know, over our whole lives, they've always had they've found guys that are willing to be there considering everybody always talks about how no big time players want to play there. Yeah. I just got one more point, Mo. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to compare these teams to other playoffs team, they remind me more of like the Dallas Mavericks and the Detroit Pistons when they were competing for NBA titles more so than these Atlanta Hawks and Toronto Raptor teams that everyone want to put out there. Cause Detroit wasn't the favorites to win at all. Like, even though that they had a well-rounded roster, a really good head coach, they played defense and could score. You know, the same thing with the Dallas Mavericks. The, the same things apply to this Utah Jazz team to me with those teams as opposed to the, the teams that, you know, had great records but fell apart in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, Definitely. and then, you know, just before we move on to, you know, the Eastern Conference, the one point I want to hit on is when Steven said they're the most cohesive team I know earlier in the season we had the conversation about the expectation of the Jazz and what people weren't valuing is look at all these rosters. Who pretty much has the same roster? The Utah Jazz. Who doesn't have to deal with team chemistry? The Utah Jazz. They didn't have a lot of big additions that impacted the team. There was no Rudy Gobert got traded for a star player. They had Mike Conley. They, they, you know, you look at this team this year, they look almost exactly the same. So why they're so good is because a team like that, the star player improves, the chemistry improves, you know, the adjustments um, improve, and that goes, that's a cause for a great team. Obviously, they have a six-man in the year. You know, our guy Chris LeBron brings up. They have a six-man of the year candidate who might actually win six-man of the year in Jordan Clarkson. He's been huge. He kind of mm-hmm. fills a void coming off the bench that, like, he's the dynamic scorer that Mike Conley's not. But Mike Conley is such a great point guard of how he runs the offense. They balance each other well. You get two different aspects of the game when you have a Mike Conley in as opposed to when you have Jordan Clarkson in. But they mesh together, I think. Mike Conley's a decent shooter. He's not your go-to scorer, but he can score. His floater is, you know, sec- questionably second to none. He's always had a great folder his whole career, and he's he can make plays. I won't consider him like a bona fide playmaker, but he makes the right plays. He can set the offense up. He's what people talk about Rondo being to the Clippers, the expectations should be. You know, as far as getting a point guard, he's kind of what Chris Paul was with 
you know, the addition of Phoenix Suns. I understand I would take Chris Paul over Mike Conley, but he fills that void of he's what Goran Dragic is to the Miami Heat. You just need a guy that can run that half-court offense and that I can trust to make the right play and not turn over the ball. And when it's asked of you to score here and there, you can make that happen. And ultimately, that's what Mike Conley does. He's not He'll have a surprise game where, oh, he had 30. He has a hot night. But he'll give you 17 to 18 consistently, 7 to 8 assists consistently. He's going to play hard. He's not the greatest defender, but he's not the world's worst defender at point guard. He's going to play hard. And so I think those are all the big factors. But that cohesiveness, that team chemistry, you know, is second to none. And me and Steven had this conversation way earlier in the season when we thought that, you know, the Utah Jazz would be really good. It's because there was no addition of Chris Paul. There was no, you know, a shakeup of the roster a little bit like the Lakers made with bringing Montrez Harrell and Mark Gasol and Wesley Matthews. You look at Brooklyn, there was no shakeup of the roster with finally having KD and Kyrie back healthy and James Harden. And then obviously we see with now, even in the middle of the season, adding Blake Griffin and Aldridge. That's just been one team who's been consistently just been able to develop as a team with no outside factors coming in. But, you know, moving on, last but not least, the Eastern Conference. This is the, to me, the Eastern Conference is very close. You have, it's very far away and it's very close. You have the top <laughs> three teams and then you have everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. And I think there is a big drop off, you know, in which six and we a have half the top games. three teams. Exactly. Yeah. Behind like third place. It's, it's crazy. And then we have one of you have the top three teams and neither of those three teams made it to the finals last year. But one of the teams that made it to the finals, my Miami Heat, we're talking about is part of that big drop off. And that's where the Eastern Conference gets very interesting and very, you know, a lot of sleeper teams. So, Austin, I'm going to start with you. Who would be like, I won't be surprised if they make the Easter Conference Finals. Who is that team for you that's not Philly or Brooklyn or even Milwaukee? Who's that team for you? Well, you know, um, originally I was going to kind of go with Milwaukee just because they, they kind of been not really that that talked about. But no. if, if outside of them, um, you know, that's tough because that, that drop-off is big. I guess I'll steal your team and go with the Miami Heat because, you know, that's the easiest easiest answer. Obviously, they added Oladipo. Um, I do think that helps, you know, for all the all the talk of his inefficiency and his the fact that he thinks he's going to get a max contract, and I, I think a lot of us disagree with that idea. Um, he still scores 20 points a game. He still shows – moments where he can take over and, and where he's almost you know unguardable at times he he still does have some explosion here or there I just don't think it's as often as it used to be and he's not really developed the shooting ability that I think a lot of people saw coming before the injury I think he he obviously you know when he made the all-star team he was at like 24 points per game but his I think I talked about this once before his shooting percentage goes up like four or five points that goes from 21 points a game to 24 or five points a game. And you're looking at a, a top 25 scorer in the league right there. All he has to do is shoot a little bit better. And yeah. teams seem to get the, or Miami as a team seems to get the best out of their players, out of the guys, you know, they're a team. I feel like Miami, the Spurs, you know, those franchises to those two more than just about anybody. I feel like get 
get the best out of guys. And if that's going to be the case with Oladipo, I think just think about how deep, you know, the heat can be now, uh, you know, hero, if he picks it up in the playoffs again, like he did last year, Duncan Robinson from, you know, obviously from the perimeter, they've still got Jimmy Butler, who I think with a guy like Oladipo by, by his side doesn't, and, and, you know, Dragic stays healthy and Adebayo stays healthy. You don't have to see him. You won't see him just exhausted at the end of game five and just nothing left in the tank because he's, you know, the only guy out there that can really get it done for his team. You know, he's he's going to have options to, you know, kind of take some of that load off of him. So I, I think it's the Miami Heat. If you if you take out Milwaukee, you know, I just think the Bucks are somebody to watch out for. You know, I think for what we talked about with Drew Holiday's contract, you know, they've won 17 of their last 21 games. Mm-hmm. They're, they're one of the best teams in the East for a reason. I think, you know, we all saw what happened the last two years when they led the league and wins and went wire to wire and were number one seed. It didn't work out for them. So, you know, at least props to them for trying something different. And I think it'll, I think it'll ultimately help them. So I think they're another team to really look out for too. Yeah. Steven. I mean, I'm not going to argue against anything that Austin just said on both fronts, you know, my, or Miami, I think if you exclude the top three teams, Miami really could be the fourth seed right now, but basically because the way that the, you know, the win loss against the Atlanta Hawks have gone for them so far this season, that's why they're the quote unquote fifth seed, but they have the same record and Miami is obviously the better team right now. I mean, they finally got their guys playing basketball together. You know, don't hold your breath for too long because they're going to, they're going to jump over Atlanta. I mean, all credit to, you know, Coach McMillan and the job that he's doing in Atlanta. I love Coach McMillan. We talked about that on our show a lot, Austin. But um, if I can't talk about the top three and I don't want to be redundant and talk about Miami, you know, for my segment, the only other right answer to me is the Boston Celtics. And they have they have underperformed wholeheartedly, like just vastly underperformed. But they've been without Marcus Smart, who is my reigning glue guy of the year. You know, they've had COVID situations, things like that. They just brought in Evan Fournier, and granted, his debut was horrendous. I think he was Horrible. like oh, it was like oh, a ten from the field, oh, a five mm-hmm. from deep. But then he came back his next go round and had almost like a stupid efficient game, like his next go round. So I think that's going to be more of a thing of fit. Brad Stevens, his offense is pretty different from what you're going to see in a lot of other um, organizations, especially coming from Orlando. To, from a from you know Steve Clifford ran offense to a Brad Stevens offense is going to be very very different, um, but I think that he's going to acclimate well. Kemba Walker is really going to be contingent upon how efficient he's going to be for the amount of run that he's going to get on the floor because of the contract and his name is Kemba Walker, right? Uh, they have two guys on the floor in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who can give it to you any night. I wouldn't be surprised if you know. Boston is like a sixth or seventh seed and they got to go up against a Milwaukee or Atlanta or Miami and they advance to that next round. I mean, we're talking about the Boston Celtics who have been in three of the last four Eastern Conference finals, haven't done much past that. But I mean, they're just figuring out their center rotation now. Rob Williams has been actually really low key good. If you don't know who this guy is, please go look him up. He might be their best playmaker. Not even joking. He might be their best playmaker on the floor when he's out there. So they they're figuring things out lately. They're if you look at their last 
Yes, they are 5-5, five of five, but they are on a two-game win streak, and they just added to their rotation. So got to give them a little bit of time to figure out their rotation. Ultimately, if I can't pick the top three, and Miami's been talked about to me, that only leaves Boston as a team that has been out of three of the last four Eastern Conference Finals as a team that you can consider. You know what would be a, a really fun first-round uh, Eastern Conference playoff series would be Tatum and Brown versus Embiid and Simmons if they end up in the seven spot and like a two seven matchup. Mm-hmm. A, that's a seven seed you don't really want to see. I don't think. I think they've got yeah. two guys that can get hot and beat just about anybody. I think so. they jumped Charlotte with the loss of Lamelo Ball though. I think probably that they, so. Yeah, I think, saying, that'd be, I yeah, think be that fun. was huge. And you know, to to be honest, like you know. For this topic, it was a lot better for the Western Conference. Obviously, with taking Milwaukee out of the situation, and that's because I don't really find them a sleeper team. I find them a team with very high expectations or a lot of pressure. So I wouldn't say they're a sleeper team. I think we expect them to make a conference finals this year. We expect them to be competitive and have a chance of either, A, getting to the finals or at least showing that there was a chance losing in six or seven to – either what we would see either Brooklyn or Philly. Um, and like I said, it would either be Miami and obviously I think it's Miami and then Boston is next, you know, so just to kind of touch up on both, obviously me being a heat fan, we're talking about a team that just made it to the finals. Now me of all people, I'm a heat fan. And I have said that the, the bubble situation was very ideal for that team. Uh, the Miami heat, obviously, because there was a lot of pushback of whether players wanted to play and, you know, maybe they took advantage of a lot of teams not being all in on winning a championship in the bubble because maybe personally they were discounting it. There weren't a lot of players chasing legacy last year to me, which makes a difference. We're talking about the playoffs where there was no Steph Curry. There was no Kevin Durant. And I'm not sure that Kawhi Leonard was truly worried about his legacy at that moment. I feel like guys that were, looking to add to their legacy to me was kind of LeBron James or Giannis to create a legacy. Me and Steven were both two of very few people to call the upset of Miami beating Milwaukee, just evaluated their matchup and the problems they gave them in the regular season. Austin, you, you, you were a guy too. So that's why I say, okay, so all three of us here were three, very few people kind of thought we were crazy. They, they understood where we were coming from, but it still was the, Jimmy isn't Giannis, it's not going to happen kind of thing. The better team is going to win. I don't know if in a seven-game series that they were playing home and away. I don't know if I would have said that. Granted, up to the point how bad of an away team that Miami was. But, you know, like I said, the, the bubble was an ideal situation for the Miami Heat. But this year, I just look at the matchup problems they could give. You talk about the addition of Oladipo. The one I really love is Trevor Ariza. And the reason why I say mm-hmm. that is just defensively. He can, I, I need about 15 solid minutes. He can hit a few threes for me. He's a 3 and D guy. Obviously, he has championship experience. That matters when we talk about older veterans, seasoned veterans. That's why you add those guys because they have championship experience. And that's why in Iguodala, you know, remains so valuable to a roster you know, that's kind of like Iguodala with Miami. That's kind of why we went and added him. That's why he remains valuable to the roster of the Miami Heat is because those two guys have championship experience. They know what it takes to get it done, and they can also help the young guys 
the younger guys get it done. Obviously, Jimmy Butler being, you know, now having a finals appearance, he knows what it takes to win a championship, and he gave it his all. He definitely Dude, he didn't was come short. Like, he was, after game five, we kind of knew it was over. He mm-hmm. was gassed. Like, we've never seen a guy, like, it took, like, it was almost like we thought there might need to be an ambulance call, you know, for the fact of how exhausted he was. So, but, you know, with that experience, with obviously Bam out of bio having played in the finals, that's very dangerous is having all these guys have a deep run and have, you know, Tyler Hero obviously made a name for himself whatever name social media wanted to give him. I don't agree that it was justified and that he really earned it outside of that 30 point game. There wasn't much. He really contributed or else Jimmy Butler wouldn't have been as gassed as he was, but he was a social media star. You know, he made that face and and it went viral. It was, you know, almost as viral as the Jordan meme. Like, so he, he made it social media stars. We see it all the time. I consider Odell Beckham, one of those that, he was really good, but Odell Beckham, you take away that three-finger catch in his social media status and how high on your list is Odell Beckham outside of what he can be. We always talk about what he could be. So that's kind of – but then with Boston, we need Kemba Walker to do something. Like, uh, he's not doing enough. It, Jason Tatum, you know, what was it, their, their second year in the league, Easter Conference Finals appearance, actually his rookie year. Played against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Had a great, you know, Easter Conference Finals performance. Just couldn't get the job done. And the expectation for him to get the job done against a LeBron James-led team in his rookie year, a lot of pressure, obviously. And like Steven said, three of the past four Easter Conference Finals have hosted the Boston Celtics in it. So if we talk about a team who can finally get it together and knows what it takes to get there, they're young. They have that takeover guy, and obviously either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. And I think when we talk playoffs, that matters. And that's why, you know, I value the Jazz so high. They have that guy. Like, if it hasn't been proven, they have that guy who could take over the game. And I think that matters when we talk about the NBA. It's not a one and done and who was just better that night. You have to be the better team for four of seven nights as a as the best possibility of going seven games. So I think it really falls down to, like, Kimball Walker and even Brad Stevens because with being in the three of the past four conference finals, you would think they would have made that step to a finals appearance. Also, you would think that there wouldn't be much of a struggle the way they're struggling with a coach like Brad Stevens. I think Budenholz is a guy who could be in the hot seat if Milwaukee, you know, falls short again. I think they could be looking to making an improvement there. And I think Brad Stevens, whether it's justifiably or not, he could be in the hot seat. If not this year, I think we'll definitely be looking at him next year as, you know, is this his last year as Boston's coach? Does he have, are they coming into the season with very high expectations? Obviously, you know, Jason Tatum's going to be, what, 24 next year. Jalen Brown will be hitting that age, 24, 25. So you still have your young guys who are starting, who are about to hit their prime you you got to get the job done when you have two players like that. You have a guy like Kimball Walker. Obviously, Gordon Hayward has been highly missed. I mean, we've seen, you know, what he's been doing, what he was doing in Charlotte. And you could tell they were missing that void. And I don't know if the Fournier move was to fill that void. I also think they failed tremendously at bringing in a center. You know, they didn't get – we look at the buyout market. 
Even an Aldridge, like they needed help. Even though Robert Williams has been playing great, but up Lob until has been, him playing, Lob has been killing it lately. Yeah, but it's been like up until him been killing it lately. That the one thing we've been saying is they've been missing a big man. They were in talks to trade for Miles Turner. You know, even before the season started, didn't make it happen. Weren't able to get one of which Andre Drummond or Lamarcus Aldridge. So you know that's one of those that you know I think they just fell short. But, you know, just to end it on that note, fellas, I appreciate y'all for coming on the show. So, you know, as you guys come in, I let you guys announce your guys' way out. So, Steven, we'll start with Steven. Tell us where they can find you and some projects you guys got coming up as a duo. Well, Mo, I just want to thank you so much for not only hosting me, but, you know, the whole break in the game show. And this is the first time that Austin and I have been on a show together as guests i mean it's pretty it's pretty yeah. cool to do that so thank you so much for having us on but um you can follow me individually on twitter at steven that's with a ph um so steven btg that stands for austin and our uh, my um nba podcast and dash radio show that we host you can catch us on the dash radio app on the nothing but net channel every monday and friday at 6 p.m eastern 3 p.m pacific uh, you can download our podcast anywhere podcasts are available. Uh, you can follow our show on Twitter and um, Instagram at BTG NBA pod. You can follow us on Facebook at BTG NBA pod and go to off the ball network.com for all your sports needs. I'm working on a response piece to ESPN's top 25 players under the age of 25 because it's disgusting. And uh, I got to, at least put out something that has a little it. bit of say it, say it for what it is. You got to fix it. I got to fix it. Um, and I'm working on that right now. I was working on it before I came on tonight's show most, but again, thank you so much for having me. Yep. A hundred percent. Austin. Yeah. You know, man, this has been a lot of fun. This is the first time I've really been a guest on anybody's show. So thank you so much for having me. You know, I knew what I was getting myself into. You always, you know, you always run a great show, Mo. You've always been a great guest. You're a, a great, you know, dude to work with for sure um i don't think i've ever gone a show without giving giving chris's new york knicks a little bit of love so i do want to say this one you want to talk about cinderella teams the only real cinderella nba team ever was the new york knicks so the only eight seed to ever make it to the finals so <laughs> what year was that? that what happened that year um, they lost i mean i was wasn't going that, that route that that was that was the lockout. Was that was the lockout season too. This is, okay. Only played fifty games, so you know whatever. Haters are gonna hate Stephen. It's okay. It wouldn't be a show if Austin and I didn't argue. And you know, <laughs> congratulations to us for waiting until the end to finally have right, an right. Yeah, we were, that's we were crazy. pretty civil. We we're pretty civil. <laughs> um, you know, but you you guys talk too about full. You know, a full having full stadiums here soon. How fun would it be to see a, an NBA playoff game with Madison Square Garden full of people? That'd be cool. You know, that's that's something to, to hope for, too. Um, I'm actually been working hard on getting. Uh, <laughs> see, that's why I do it. Got them knee pads ready. <laughs> oh, sure. Whatever you want to say. Uh, no, but um, I've actually been working a lot on doing my first ever um, NBA draft big board and um, mock drafts. So I've been, I've hey. been kind of working on that behind the scenes. That's why I haven't put up put out much lately i'm about ready to to release it not much longer so um i think you'll see some surprises on there that i'm sure there'll be some names you won't probably completely agree with but 
I think Steven and I have talked about a few of them before already, and he's he's telling me I'm not crazy, so I'm doing something right. But everything he already said, you know, you know where to find us. So again, Mo, thanks for having us on. Yeah, I, and I appreciate you guys for having on having coming on. Y'all have had me on your show. You know, I've popped up mid show because of topics y'all have hit. I've been on the show, you know, I've I helped Steven co-host in the absence of I had to fill in your shoes, Austin, which wasn't easy at all. But, you know, I feel like I did you right and did a pretty did. good job. But did a great job, where, though. I appreciate it. But you guys know where to follow me at Up in Flames Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Mo underscore cheese fifteen for my personal account. Um definitely check out, you know, the biggest project I would say I'm working on is obviously getting mock draft two point which is actually going to lead up to right before the NFL draft. So that's actually going to be our final off-the-ball network um, mock draft. So that'll be the official what we say goes, and that's what we're going to put out before the draft. I released picks 1 through 10 from our mock draft 1.0. Tomorrow will be 11 through 20. And leading up to Friday, Thursday, we will do 21 through 32 so that everybody can kind of get a, a refresher of our previous you know, mock draft 1.0. Obviously, there's been some changes, some trades that kind of will adjust the way we pick. There's been some talks of guys' stock rising, guys' stock falling that will have us adjust some picks a little bit. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of base it off some of the whispers that we get to hear from a lot of the NFL organizations that comes out, the GMs and stuff like that. So that's always a fun project. Get everybody on the network involved. I love doing that. And, um, you know, thank y'all for coming on the show, bro. Definitely can't wait to talk to y'all again. And on that note, up and